0: Four Degrees to the Streets is designed to empower anyone curious about places and spaces, not just persons with professional degrees or backgrounds. Here we will cover a host of topics including transportation, health, housing, and the environment through the lens of racism, classism, and sexism, and give listeners the tools they need to overcome institutional barriers. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the number four degrees pod, And tune in every other Tuesday where Nemo and Jazz keep it four degrees to the streets.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Four Degrees to the Streets podcast. Nemo and I are so excited to talk to you about today's episode, Episode 9, Climate Change. We're going to be talking about the cycle of how the humans impact the environment and how the environment then turns around and impacts our day-to-day lives. Make sure you listen and watch Episode 8, Where the Money Resides. Nemo and I linked up together in D.C. to record our very first episode in person, kind of mid-pandemic, mid in mid pandemic kind of like towards the end of the pandemic we hope so <laughs> hopefully we on like the you know the bell curve like we're on like the end of right it. but you can watch the full 27 minute episode on our instagram um our igtv videos you can download and listen to the episode wherever you get your podcast make sure you like and review the podcast on google Podcasts and apple Podcasts, and comment on the igtv video and let us know what you out of our energy. Nemo, how are you doing today, girl?
0: I'm doing great. Um, I can't complain. It's officially spring. It's warming up, um, which we're going to be talking about how overall warming of the environment may not be the best thing in this episode. But when I can walk out my apartment at seven o'clock and it's still 70 degrees, I can't complain. How are you?
1: I'm good. I enjoy walking out at seven o'clock at night and it's not dark.
0: That is you know, super refreshing. <laughs> right, exactly. It was a, this was actually a dark winter. We were just talking about mid-pandemic, but it was dark. Um, but also, you know, this episode timing is really nice because it'll be coming out right before Earth Day 2021. So Earth Day is on April 22nd. Um, it must be like my childhood in elementary school that always makes Earth Day super exciting because you just get to be outside. Um, but today, as Jasmine mentioned, we're going to be talking about climate change, and how that is connected to the built environment, as well as human behavior, um, human actions, and how that impacts the environment and the climate. And then in turn, by a result of human behaviors and climate change, how that impacts our day-to-day lived experience. And so even though Jasmine and I both studied planning, we are not experts <laughs> in climate change. Um, we know a little bit just from our education and, and daily work life and our own personal interest, but we are going to have some of the resources that we talk about the show notes as well. And so I'm going to turn it over to Jasmine so she can kind of give the introduction to some of the terms we're going to be talking about today as it comes to climate change and weather.
1: I always hated Earth Day because it meant that we had to go outside and clean up trash. There was like a park behind my middle school and people used to, of course, litter in the park. And so we would literally go outside on Earth Day and clean out trash in the park. So I hated Earth Day. <laughs> it, oh, gosh. Was, it was the worst day. <laughs> we you were like the little plant no
0: seeds. No, we were like pots. a chain
1: gang. Like we had the little sticks that they see, like the prisoners used on the side of the highway. It was really bad. I hated it so much. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so the first thing that we're going to talk about in terms of climate change is global temperature rise. And that's pretty much the foundation of the climate changing, and that is getting warmer. It's why we, in a previous era, used to refer to climate change as global warming. I'm going to focus right now on the difference between climate, temperature, and weather, because when we talk about climate change, we often refer to um, different daily temperatures, but individual daily temperatures are aggregated together to get our climate. And so weather or temperature is what we experience on a day-to-day basis. Climate is what we experience over long periods of time and kind of like averages, for instance, The climate in South Florida is in the tropical zone. It's in the same zone as some of the Caribbean islands. And so it's typically warm there, although every single day in South Florida doesn't have the same weather. Some days it might get as low as 50 degrees, and other days it might go over 100 degrees. But on average, it has the climate of a tropical zone. So if the summers seem hotter lately, that may indicate that the climate has changed. But it doesn't necessarily mean that one hot day or one cold day means that the climate is changing. And so when we talk about climate change, we're not just discussing changes in the everyday weather, but how those t- those changes in the weather are aggregated across time. So when scientists talk about climate, they're referring to changes in average, Precipitation changes in average temperature even changes in humidity or in the the amount of sun that shines on a particular day. Um, And so, when we have this conversation, a lot of times we focus on extreme events um, and those events. Even though they seem to happen at random times, it's more so the frequency at which they occur that indicates a change in the climate. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No. I think that's a. I think that's a good point about um, it's the warming of the overall environment leads to other things that may also impact other seasons. So it may not just be summer where we see the impacts of climate change, but it'll be other times of the year or. Um, other ways that we experience the outdoor and the the natural environment that are as a result of the long-term sustained warming or change in uh, climate over time. Um, And so when we, another kind of overview that we wanted to give is uh, I'm sure you hear a lot of times in scientists describing climate change is humans are bad, people are ruining the environment, but what does that really mean? Um, are you know are people is it because people are driving in their cars is it people leaving their cars running outside is it people using um, more electricity should we be using cleaner forms of electricity to reduce impacts of what we do to the environment and how that impacts the climate and I will say this is not meant to shame anybody because there are many different layers and cultural contexts that that are involved in how we and how that impacts our choices and our day to day behaviors.
1: I was just going to add that in this episode, we're not taking a earth focus to climate change. We're really focusing on how the changing of the climate impacts humans in our day-to-day lives because at the end of the day, the earth is going to be fine. It's going to adjust. So however we behave and however we adapt or don't adapt to the climate changing is going to be the end or the longevity of humans. Because if we ruin the planet, we will become extinct just like the dinosaurs. But the world going to keep spinning around and it's going to be new inhabitants and however that means animals will adapt and will morph to fit the changing times. It's really the question of how will humans adapt and morph to fit the changing of times.
0: Right. And how can what we do on a day-to-day basis impact our own best interest at the end of the day? Um, and so one of the big ways of how scientists have proven that humans behaviors are leading to climate change is through greenhouse gas emissions. Um, that's a really common phrase that we hear but what is that even. And so greenhouse gas emissions are essentially the combination of emissions of carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide and F gases so we can get really scientific. But as Jasmine said, we're not even going to go. there. But when you think about greenhouse gases think about all of those things going into the environment. And a lot of times how that happens is through the burning of fossil fuels. And so this, is hap- this happens a lot during manufacturing. So when coal, gas, oil are burned, this is something that humans have been doing a lot since the industrial revolution and it continues today. And so specifically, again, how do we know that it is humans that are contributing to that type of greenhouse gas? And that's because the carbon dioxide that comes from burning of these fossil fuels and producing fossil fuels has a unique signature that makes it different from other carbon carbon dioxide sources that comes from other natural things that happen in the environment. And so science really dug into the, to the root to see, you no, know, these are things, these are greenhouse gases that are coming from things that people are doing. And so some other ways that, you know, the greenhouse gases get, get emitted is through um, food waste, unnecessary food production, overproduction. So the factory farm model, You know, producing livestock takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of water, it takes a lot of energy to keep the farming in the structure that can produce these animals and produce this food for people. And so the gases specifically from livestock are methane and nitrous oxide, as I mentioned, are part of the greenhouse gases, and those alone are more potent than carbon dioxide. Um, But again, as we'll get into a little bit later, it's a cycle, because to produce the food, it takes a lot of energy and it it, it comes out with greenhouse gas emissions. And that impacts the climate, which impacts higher temperatures, which puts you know scarcity in water-scarce areas, and then it makes it harder to then grow food and raise these animals. And so the impact of just trying to get the food then impacts the environment, which then in turn will impact how we get food again. Um, another way of thinking about you know our, our contribution to climate change um, and consumption is some of the materialism ideas that we're that we're told and that we're taught and that having more things is better and so then that increases how things are produced. The world has to keep producing to match you know the amount of things that people are wanting. Um, and the last thing that I'll touch on is population growth and again you know population size has a whole host of things that are attached to it depending on where people live. Higher populations mean that there's overall higher activity happening in those areas and having increased greenhouse gas emissions as well whether that's just for transportation, heating, cooling buildings, and then just industrial production overall. Um, But even if the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that someone is producing on an individual basis is kept the same, just the overall growth in people is not enough to curb kind of the individual day-to-day things that someone may be doing in their life and how that impacts greenhouse gas emissions. So
1: Nemo just kind of gave you the science on how humans, like we talked about, it's a cycle, how humans impact the environment. Now I'm gonna pick up and talk about what exactly is that impact? And so we're getting these numbers from climate.gov, which is a part of NASA's website. So land and ocean temperatures have increased at an average rate of 0.13 degrees Fahrenheit per decade since 1880, right? Since 1981, so about 100 years later, the rate of temperature increase has doubled. So now the temperature, the average temperature increases per decade around 0.32 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you can just imagine, that's what we're talking about in terms of human behavior. So every single year, every single decade, rather, from 1880, the temperature just on average increased about 13 degrees Fahrenheit, 0.13 degrees Fahrenheit, so less than one degree Fahrenheit. It's increasing every decade, you know, pretty steady. 1981, it starts to accelerate, it doubles. So if you can imagine like a exponential graph, it's kind of like that S, in the positive direction, taking you back to your tenth grade math class. That's the increase in temperatures, and so every single year since 1977 has been warmer than the prior um, centuries' average. 19 of the 20th 20th warmest years have occurred since 2001, and so from 2015 to 2019, those were the top five hottest years on record, and so you can see how the temperature on average, the climate then has been getting warmer. What does that mean Nemo for humans? Now we've talked about the science of how the climate is being impacted by humans. We talked about what the impact of that is on the climate in terms of temperature. What does that mean for us living day to day? Okay, it's getting warmer, so what? I like warm weather.
0: Right. And I had a flashback when you said that 2015 to 2019 was the top five hottest years on record. I distinctly remember summer of 2019, because it was the last summer that we had, because summer 2020 didn't exist. And meg Thee Stallion declared a hot girl summer. And it literally was, <laughs> you know, when you think about we think about climate change. Um, don't mind me, y'all. I'm actually really corny in real life. <laughs> so we just gonna let that we just let that pass. Um, but to Jasmine's point, you know, we, we talked about things that humans do, things that the environment is is reacting to, these greenhouse gas emissions. But on a day-to-day basis, what are the environmental impacts um, as a result of human behavior? Well, we're not just focusing on what the environment is doing, but looking at how the environmental impacts are then again impacting humans in their day-to-day life. And so I'm going to talk about two types of extreme events, winter storms and then hurricanes. And so winter storms, a lot of times, when you're even watching the news and they're comparing the intensity of a winter storm. They will describe how it has happened over time. But a lot of times what isn't talked about is what led to that. And that is how the climate change connection happens. And so for instance, with winter storms, when there's increased temperatures overall globally, that leads to increased evaporation in the environment. And then that leads to increased precipitation. And so, precipitation is any form of, you know, liquid coming from the sky, fog, rain, snow. Um, and so when it's cold enough and there's increased precipitation, that will lead to heavier snowfall. But specifically when temperatures are warming throughout the, glo- throughout the globe and in the Arctic, that disrupts the polar vortex that is normally trapping cold air over the Arctic. And so when that is disrupted, that cold air can move further south towards the equator. And so that all, that process is also known as a changing in the jet streams. And so when we think about recent events in Texas um, back in February, temperatures across the state of Texas and also the Midwest were 50 degrees Fahrenheit colder than the average that, that happens in those areas for that, for that specific date. Um, and so that storm in Texas had a lot of impacts that impacted people and how they live. And most importantly, people died. There was even an instance where someone froze to death. And a lot of that happened um, because in that region, that level of a harsh winter storm, even though Texas has had snow before, but that level of intensity was not expected. And that comes from the increased temperature, increased evaporation, and then an increased in in precipitation when it's cold enough. Um, People had power outages, electricity grids failed. um, There was no running water. And then water treatment plants also did not have power. And so people's water that they were getting was not clean. Um, And so those are just some of the day-to-day human impacts that happen from an intense winter storm event.
1: And so you think about why you saw images of roofs collapsing and ceilings collapsing and power outages in Texas when the weather was cold, but you don't see those same things in New Jersey or New York or Massachusetts. It's because the climate in the Northeast is adjusted for cold temperatures. So our infrastructure is built to resist to be resilient against those temperatures. The climate in Texas is not designed is is a warmer climate. So their infrastructure is built because we can predict that is generally going to be warm. But without that stability in our climate saying, okay, it's generally going to be warm in Texas in the winter and it's generally going to be cold in New Jersey in the winter. We can't plan. How do you plan if you don't know If this winter is going to be freezing and next winter is going to be mild, how do you design your infrastructure to be successful? And that is what makes climate change as part of the reason why climate change is so damaging, both socially and economically, because it it hinders our ability to plan for the future realistically.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and even touches on. Um, when I was looking at some of the information on hurricanes, like for instance, Florida, they have regulations where, they, where their buildings have to withstand category five hurricanes. It doesn't make sense for Texas to be overall planning into their types of uh, codes to be preparing for a level of snow or cold weather or, you know, or even in their, um, in their power infrastructure system as well. Um, it just wouldn't make sense. People would be like, why? <laughs> but then when climate change shakes all of that up, um, they did now have to go back and plan after an extreme um, tragic event has happened.
1: Spencer Glendon, um, he's a senior fellow at Woods Hole Research Center. Um, he talks specifically about how climate change is going to change human habitats and there's going to be what he calls climate refugees the people migrating from certain areas of the world because they're no longer habitable for what they are used to. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm used to living in a warm place for five years. I'm talking about generations of people and infrastructure being used to a particular climate and it completely
0: switching on them. Yeah, I know. That's a good point. Um, Even myself, I'm going to look into what he was talking about um, because I hadn't heard of him before. Um, And so now I'm going to talk a little bit about extreme events in the form of intense hurricanes. And so one way to think of it, I saw a quote um, and it was um, through NPR and I'll have it in the show notes, but it said hot water is like a battery charger for hurricanes. It sends energy and moisture into the storm. As it forms, it helps and grow more powerful and deadly storms. And so this one is a little bit more directly connected to how we think about climate change and increase in weather, um, that the storm systems that create hurricanes are created from warm water in the ocean. And so specifically thinking about Hurricane Laura that happened in August, 2020, this was on record, one of the most powerful storms in the United States. And part of what led to that was that the, wet, the water in the Gulf of Mexico was 90 degrees at the time when it was approaching landfall. And so this, and then with this increase in intensity, hurricanes are also becoming more deadly. Um, there were 77 deaths reported from that hurricane and 63 of them came from Haiti and Louisiana alone. And then even because of the impact of the hurricane and the strong wind surges it produced 16 tornadoes as well in the south in the southern region of the united states Um, another impact and how we think about how the hurricane damage impacts humans is there was agricultural damage that was more intense in louisiana than from hurricane katrina and rita um, and both of those hurricanes happened in 2005. and so when we think about how climate is impacting the intensity of these hurricanes What makes it, again, as Jasmine mentioned, hard to plan for is when the increased temperature is making the hurricanes increase strength right before it hits landfall. Normally, you know, weather specialists can see if how intense the storm is going to be when it's a ways out. But as the temperatures are increasing, it gets hard to plan and prepare for how intense these storms are going to be. And this makes it hard for people to evacuate, makes it harder for people to find shelter. And especially this storm, when we think about how it happened during a pandemic, um, it's particularly challenging to find places for people to congregate and uh, make themselves safe during a storm like this.
1: Yeah, the hurricanes, and it's crazy that both Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Rita happened in 2005. Um, And we've been seeing a lot more hurricanes, which as I mentioned earlier in terms of climate, that is an indicator of a changing climate. If we're experiencing X amount of hurricanes per decade for the last five decades, and in the last 10 years, we've seen twice that number of hurricanes, that's an indicator that our climate is changing. Something is happening in which the frequency and intensity of these extreme events are are increasing.
0: Right. And that, and it doesn't leave much, you know, the only planning we can really do now is seeing the pattern that's happened over the last few decades um, and seeing that, okay, what, what needs to happen to really, to really prepare for this. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit of that later as we talk about some of the policies. Um, but, you know, when we think about how, Climate used to be more so referred to as global warming. Um, Jasmine's going to share a little bit about how an overall increase in temperature and how that impacts people. So, people
1: eat food. Like, we need water and food to survive. You think you need a house and a car and a job, you really just need water and food. Of course, you need a place to cook the food and money to buy the food, so you need a job. But those are the two basic necessities of food, of, of humans. And so, Warming temperatures have several impacts. Nemo talked about the extreme events. One particular event that I'm gonna mention and discuss are droughts. And so a drought is a period of very little rainfall, which leads to low water availability. In the United States, and this is a very US focused episode, we understand that climate change is, is the entire world. And so we know that it impacts different places at different intensities and different rates. And it's not just a problem happening here in the United States of America or in the, the North American context. So United States experiences um, drought regularly, parts of California, Utah, Arizona, even parts of Georgia and Louisiana, Mississippi, um, Ohio experience different rates of drought throughout the year. We have, uh, Drought indicator that you can Google your state or your region and it will let you know if you are experiencing a drought. I was really young at this time, but I remember there was a whole campaign in California about not using water to water your grass because they were going through a drought and there was low water availability, but the increase in temperatures really severely impact droughts and that makes sense for various reasons. But I'm going to talk about it here from 2000 to 2015, between 20 and 70% of the United States land area experienced conditions that were abnormally dry at a given time. So that comes from the US EPA, the data behind that is a graph on their website, which we will have in the show notes, but it shows Um, kind of a, a bar graph over time. And you can see that beginning in 2000, the amount of land area that was considered to be in a drought significantly increased between that 15 year period. And so what does the drought mean for humans? Okay, we need water and food to survive. And droughts limit the availability of water for drinking and it limits the availability of water used in agriculture. And so there's an article in the American Journal of Agricultural Economics that talks about the impact of drought on food production. They just gave an, they estimated, okay, what would an additional week of drought mean for various parts of the United States? And it would mean a decline of between 0.10 and 1.2% production of corn and soybeans. And they just isolated this to look at one week and two particular crops. But if you can extrapolate that to see, okay, what if the drought lasted for an additional month? And if it's impacting corn and soybeans, how is it impacting the production of strawberries, the production of apples and oranges and grapes? And how is it then impacting the production of grass that cows and chickens need to eat. and So how are we getting our meat and our different produce items of that way? It also makes it difficult for livestock production, like I said, because just like humans need food and water, livestock, cows, chickens, even farmed fish need water and grassland to eat so that they can grow, so that we can eat them. And so the drought increased temperatures increased drought conditions, which reduce water availability, which hinders the production of food. From a human standpoint, that means that when you go to the grocery store, the price of certain items might be higher than what you're used to because of supply and demand. Nemo consistently talked about humans we want more of everything. We wanna go to the grocery store and at any given season, we wanna get strawberries. Even if it's not strawberry season in America, we want them to bring those strawberries in from Argentina or from Chile or wherever they're grown. And we wanna have them in our grocery store and we wanna be able to afford them. Well, with climate change and droughts, a drought condition in Argentina or in Chile might impact the production of strawberries and it will then increase the cost of them in a grocery store. So that's impacting the economics. Now I'm spending more money on one particular item and now all particular items. Some items might not be available at all. I vividly remember last summer there being super high prices of orange juice because Florida was going through, uh, it was the opposite of a drought. They were going through a flood. And if you ever been to like an orange grove, too much water makes it difficult for the trees to grow the oranges. And so prices of orange juice were upwards to like $4 because they were just, and when they were there, they were up to $4. And sometimes we would go to the grocery store and there wouldn't be any orange juice there. Now that's a small item. Oh, okay. We don't have orange juice. No big deal. But that's today. What about in 10 years When we okay, we don't have orange juice. We don't have oranges. We don't have strawberries. We don't have apples. We don't have any of these fruits that we're used to. How does that impact human daily lives and our, our ability to consume food that we're not just used to consuming, but that we need for our bodies?
0: Right. Cause I think any nutritionist would obviously support a balanced diet. And when you can't get some of those foods, it's it, it impacts your own quality of life as well. I thought it was interesting that the study you mentioned talked about um, the reduction in production of corn and soybeans. Because I always think about corn as one of those foods as we don't even think about how much, th- how many things like corn is in. Like I can't even begin to list, but I also think about high fructose corn syrup and how much that is in other things. And all of that comes from corn production. Um, I think too, even aside from food, I think corn is used for just, the like, I I mean, I even think about, I think it's in some beauty supplies as well. Like it just really extends to the use of what it can be used for. Um, And then soybeans are also one of those kind of sub, they're kind of a lot, they're a a base for a lot of the foods that we eat. Um, And so even just looking at from that study alone, what a week could do when a lot of times kind of thinking about the extreme events, a lot of times these droughts happen really intensely. But then long
1: periods of time, they can last upwards to three or four months. And even if you have a break in rainfall, that might not be enough rain to sustain the environment If you ever seen if you ever been to a part of the country that's experiencing a severe drought where they can't grow, the earth is literally cracking. So like you need a lot of water to rejuvenate the soil so that it could grow anything. And I think that that article, those researchers chose to focus on corn and soybean, not just because they're basis for other foods, but because corn and soybeans need the same things that wheat needs. And we could think of a million things that wheat is involved in. They need the same things that grapes need. They need the same things that a lot of other plants need that are basis for the foods that we eat. Corn is in tortillas, it's in chips, it's in cereal. All these items.
0: Thank you, because I was not. I could not think of any. Yeah,
1: all these corn-based items. We, you wonder why sometimes they're not available, why the prices are so high, and that's the economic aspect. So it's not just. And I mean, this is enough for us to be concerned about it. What we're consuming in our bodies, but it also has a consequence on the economy. Think about all of the farmers who are growing these items, who don't have the livelihood that they need so now people on an individual level are struggling financially not just the farmers but us as consumers going to the grocery store having to spend a larger portion of our income on grocery items the economy is severely impacted on a large scale in 2015 the planting in um puerto rico Lost the farmers in Puerto Rico lost an average of $3 million from the drought that occurred there in 2015, just because one crop, the planting, was severely impacted. That's one crop in one island, Puerto Rico, $3 million. Just imagine that on a larger scale, mm. how that's impacting our economy and our food production. It's crazy. Right. I try to put things in perspective, because I think when you, even with the extreme events, when you look at all oh, that just happened in Texas one time in 2021, or all oh, that just happened in Louisiana in 2015, or all oh, that's just happening in Napa Valley in 2019 or 2020, you have to start looking at things in the aggregate. All oh, that's just happening to corn this month. That's just happening to oranges last year. But if we're seeing that consistently and more consistently, How do we think our lives are gonna be in 2030? That's scary to think about.
0: And I I think it's important to think about too, as we were kind of preparing for this episode, thinking about, okay, what do we do when the storm clears? What do we do when the rain starts falling again? Okay, it's good, we can start growing again. Or, okay, we have power back and we can now move back into our homes and be comfortable. Or, okay, now we can go back after we evacuated for the storm. But I think in terms of policies, Like, what do we do when the storm clears? What are we we doing to either mitigate the impacts on people's lives after things get better? Um, Because it's really just kind of for that short period of time, because it's going to happen again. Like you just said, Jasmine, one day it's oranges, next day it's avocados, then the next day it's corn. And it's something very, very essential to a lot of the pillars of what we eat. Um, And so we are planning to do a follow-up episode on a, a lot of the climate um, combating combating climate change policies that exist. Um, but we wanted to kind of just dig into a little bit what some of those large federal policies are, what they look like. Um, and even recently, as of this week, um, President Biden rolled out some of his plans for his $3 trillion um, infrastructure repackaging. Um, and I think that kind of goes into Um, the Green New Deal and what that would look like. And so in addition to focusing on roads and highways and infrastructure, he's also planning to put billions of dollars into into combating climate change, into climate change research, um, into electrification, which a lot of scientists are saying that that is a way forward to reducing some of our greenhouse gas emissions as well. Um, and so, um, yeah, we just wanted to kind of use the kind of end of the episode to talk about what those policies can look like and how they currently exist.
1: Not just the policies, but our individual behaviors as well. And I guess that falls into a policy. But you see, um, I think General Motors has a plan for their they have for them to have an entire fleet by 2030 of um, electric vehicles and we could get into a whole host of reasons why electricity electric vehicles might be good or bad for the environment but it definitely moves us from a gas first model which would be helpful even on individual levels recycling more okay you go to the grocery store you use those reusable bags places like dc and new york and even some towns in new jersey and california if you need a plastic bag, they charge you for one. That's to reduce you know, our plastic waste in the environment. The Clean Air Act we talked about in our earlier episode, Clean Water Act. All of these acts are put in place to try to mitigate the impact that humans have on the environment. Riding your bike to work is another example, if you can. And even working on not sprawling. And that's a huge topic in planning. But the further that we live from central areas and the further we live from each other the longer distance that we have to drive to get to essential services that all has a negative impact on the environment there's a book out there called green monopolist and it's a guy who was living in connecticut and he measured some way his um, environmental footprint in Connecticut, in the suburbs of Connecticut, versus when he moved to New York City, and how it dropped completely, because instead of driving everywhere, he would walk or take the bus, or ride his bike, and it significantly reduced the amount of energy that he was exerting into the environment
0: yeah, I think that's a good way to differentiate because while there are a lot of um, federal and state level policies, and for instance, a lot of states have been coming up with climate action plans that outline specific goals that they're going to you know hold themselves accountable to, there are a lot of those individual actions that we can take on a day to day basis to reduce our um, reduce our footprint. And I think that goes back to kind of how I said, we don't want to shame anybody and what they currently do or their current environment or how they live. Um, Because we know there's a lot of different cultural contexts that impact that, Um, but when you do start at an individual level, people will continue behaviors because of what they see and what they hear. And so as much as we do things on an individual basis, we are creating a culture for ourselves that can then expand to how our broader culture and network responds to certain things in the environment. I know I'm always super inspired by people who are reusable everything, no plastic bottles, you know, always using reusable bags, um, driving a hybrid car. I'm just like, that is so great. Like, I just wanna be, I just wanna, I wanna, I aspire to those levels, Um, you know, even growing up in Seattle, it was like, if you're not sorting your compost correctly, and reducing food waste, what's wrong with you? That was a culture that was very normal to me. Um, and then I moved to the East Coast, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, but that was a culture. That was something that was normalized. And I think we were, as a region, were able to reduce our footprint in a lot of ways.
1: When I think about individual actions and what we'll, we can kind of, you know, wrap up the episode. When I think about individual actions, I think The primary way that I try to focus on my climate change reduction is through driving. If I cannot drive somewhere, I will do my best not to. If I can, you know, rather, let's, okay, let's all ride together. We all don't need to take our individual vehicles to the same destination. Let's do that. Because anything that you can do on a small scale, if everybody does it, it becomes a really large impact on the environment.
0: No, I like that. And it reminds me of something I always used to say is that I'm the bus and the bus is me (laughs) and I will get on a bus, a train or whatever um, to not drive. And again, I think that's a cultural thing. I think I, um, in most of my adult life was able to live in environments that were pretty urban enough and walkable um, and transit accessible to where I um, did not have to do that. I would say one of the ways that I individually try to... um, protect the planet and and reduce my green footprint um it's definitely through energy use trying to cut off lights not turning on lights if not necessary managing how i use my heat and air conditioning can i open the door can i put a little blanket on like you know growing up it was just like "Mm -mm, you don't need to turn that heat on (laughs) i think that someone made a tweet about like how black
1: people have been trying to save the environment, but we didn't know. We just was trying to save money. Like we were you know, just
0: saving those plastic bags. We just bags was trying to save. A <laughs> like...
1: I have a whole thing under my sink of all these. We just use them, you know. My grandfather, he uses them to like take food outside to the neighbors or like to his cats or something or like we use them for our smaller trash bags our little shop right bags and i'm like we have been trying to Mm -hmm. save this planet out of the guise of trying to save money
0: (laughs) exactly environmentalism is not new for us and that's a whole different topic on how um environmentalism was made to be not a black thing when that is not the case so when we do our follow-up episode on policies we'll have to add a little add a little snippet to that um But thanks for rocking with us today Um, and for our episode eight. So we only have, oh my gosh, this is episode nine. (laughs) So this is our second to last episode for our first season. Um, You can listen to um, this episode and past episodes on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. We drop episodes every other Tuesday, and you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at the number four degrees pod.
1: Peace out, y'all.